0: Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Dome Media. Thank you, Olatango, as always. I uh, was going to have Chris Yang, but he's abandoned me today, so it's just me. You don't me to connect something that happened last pod or a couple podcasts ago. How honey walnut shrimp was made, right? Which I wanted to say, three, three ingredients that together shouldn't go together. And it really should be honey, walnut, mayonnaise, shrimp. Two of those could theoretically go together if you don't have mayonnaise. Like honey and walnut, delicious. Walnut and shrimp, mm, I could do it. Maybe. Honey and shrimp, delicious. Honey, walnut, shrimp, not so much. Especially, okay, if you haven't had it, it's a classic American Chinese. I don't even know if it's American Chinese. You take shrimp, you coat it in mayonnaise. You br- No, no, you bread it, you fry it. Then you coat it in mayonnaise and you sort of stir fry quickly with honey and walnuts. I got to say, it's not my cup of tea. But I do know that it's a very popular dish. I will never order it. I just wanted to put together what I think and how honey walnut shrimp happened. I do not think that this dish happened before 1960. You're like, no way. It's possible that it was invented by an immigrant. And uh, I mean, I don't know. From like, when I say authentic recipe, the mayonnaise thing is where I'm like, "Mm, something went wrong. So this is my theory. It's to give him a game of telephone and that's exactly how this recipe went sideways. Okay? I think it was kung pao shrimp and somebody somebody just got the recipe wrong. That's the, that's the end of the story, right? Like, "Hey, I love kung pao shrimp." "Oh, I don't have these things." Instead of cornstarch, became mayonnaise. I don't know what happened. I, honestly, I, I can't even give you a story because it's impossible to come up with any logical reason why honey walnut shrimp would actually be delicious.
1: I have a theory that yeah. it was actually originally a recipe on like all recipes. And then you know how like in the comments it's always like, well, I replaced the peanuts with walnuts, you know, and I replaced the, the spicy sauce with mayonnaise and honey. And I replaced it and then it just like slowly turned into something but it's been completely around, else. It's
0: been around forever. It's got to be some some Chinese immigrant.
1: So the furthest the furthest back I could find was the 90s. So it's like very, really recent.
0: No way. No way. Dude. No way. Honey walnut shrimp is everywhere.
1: Yeah, but like the 90s is it's like 30 years ago. No, I'm just old. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by cars.com.
0: One thing you need to do is microwave your mashed potatoes. You don't have to do it in any day, but I would encourage you to do so. I do think there's a lot of people that are using bowls and plates. Just don't fucking do it in plastic or plastic container. Anything with plastic on it is bad, extremely bad. Um, And not all uh, ceramic plates are good to microwave as well. Um, And I'm not even sure how you check. So I tend not to do that myself, but I like to microwave my mashed potatoes. The things that you can cook ahead of time. So sandbaggery. One is definitely mashed potatoes because you can do it a day in advance and reheat it in a microwave. Takes a lot of time and it's a messy process. So if you can knock that out of the way from the get-go, you should do that. Two, I would probably try to get turkey broth somehow now. Right? I've already told you a couple podcasts ago, that you should have already gotten your sort of dairy and your flour and all your pantry items two, three weeks before. You know, the week before you should be getting your dairy items, uh, not your dairy. Your um, no, what did I say? Herbs, herbs, herbs. Your dairy will last. Herbs definitely want to buy that five to seven days before because every time you go to a supermarket the day of or the day before. You literally have like oregano. That's that's all you got. Some mashed potatoes. Two is you can buy turkey legs or turkey wings, right? And we're still a couple weeks out. I'd buy those now, roast them off, and you can make a turkey broth slash stock with that. You don't need a lot. And you can reserve that, put that in your freezer. Because the problem with making a Thanksgiving turkey and the gravy is you need to have the gravy done after the fact, right? That's a time crunch. And also you got to let it rest. Being able to make your gravy ahead of time is amazing because what you can do is once you have the gravy already done, right? Or the broth, right? Like you could theoretically fortify it with the, 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 the fawns and all the drippings of the turkey. uh, If you made a right gravy, you can just emulsify that in because I like my gravy sort of chunky, right? I like that texture. Um, But if you want to do it in the last second, you still need broth, right? Unless you have a pressure cooker, you're not going to be taking the neck and the other parts of the turkey. Chop them up and have enough time to make a broth or stock that you're going to use for your gravy. Even if you like did use a pressure cooker, like the turkey is the last thing you're going to do. And also you can't make a turkey broth if you're frying a turkey or you're smoking a turkey. You can't, you can do it with a smoked turkey, but it's going to just blow out the the flavor and you cannot do it with a fried turkey. So if you are doing those things, you know, you, you definitely have to make the broth beforehand. I would also say another thing to sandbag. If you don't want to cook the turkey all together, a smoked turkey is a fabulous way of just getting rid of the whole thing all together. And that's the thing is even if you do that, you got to make some turkey broth beforehand. Um, And I think it's better to make it yourself because a lot of the store bought stuff is good. I also am a big believer that the canned stuff, the stuff that comes in a package is total fucking garbage, right? All of it is total garbage. It tastes like nothing it's it's like just dirty water i mean i I'd, I'd rather you use bouillon cubes all right uh, i just think it's garbage all of that stuff bone kettle broth bullshit it's not good i know i'm going to get in trouble right now by the 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 bone broth people
1: swanson's is eyeing us very very like judgingly right now
0: there is good bone broth, right? Marco Canora's uh, brodo, stuff like that. But for the most part, most of the stuff that you can buy in those containers is garbage. Even the canned stuff is garbage. It just doesn't taste good. Uh, I would much rather you get some kind of bouillon flavor because it just doesn't have any body, right? Um, if you I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna get this talk of broth and stock and flavor. Um, the last thing. I think you should be able to sandbag. And it's, again, anything that is roux-based, right? And a roux is flour and, and butter that you sort of form together and you cook out the flour, and that becomes your basis to make a bechamel or, or um, a velouté, right? Um, so if you're going to make mac and cheese from scratch, which I do recommend you do, you're going to need to start off with a roux. You don't have to. You can do it with cornstarch. other modified starches as well, but most people would still make it with a a flour and butter beginning. You can make that ahead of time. The one thing I will say with mac and cheese is you have to season it to the point where it's like over-seasoned because there's something about like the flavor dissipating over a day or two. And that's like, honestly, a hard nut to crack. How to perfectly season mac and cheese, especially when it's been reheated, something very difficult. Uh, but I do believe you need to, like, f- for a variety of reasons, take it to, like, the 11th degree on that. I mean, we said the gravy. I- I'm not a big fan of doing gravy that far in advance because I'd rather do it with the, the drippings from the turkey. The real issue is not just not having the-, the broth itself. Green bean casserole. Again, sandbagging as an art form is is a way of cooking where if you do it in advance, it actually, at the worst, you, you, there's no degradation in flavor and product. At the very best way of sandbagging, if you're cooking in advance, it gets better, like braises and stuff like that. So green bean casserole, it's always going to be delicious. So you should just mo- cook that in advance. You could even freeze that like two weeks. No one's going to know that you're reheating frozen green bean casserole. They have No fucking idea. So anything like that, where you're starting out with some kind of roux, I would, I would do in advance. Um, stuffing is another one that you could do. Speaking of which, having broth on hand, yeah, I would make stuffing in advance. That is literally the definition of sandbagging, right? It's going to be better. It's like a savory bread pudding. You do not need to make that in the moment. So I would try to, again, the only thing I would be cooking the day of, if you're making bread, that would be it. Two would be, I mean, even the pies I'd be cooking the day before. If you were going to be some kind of pastry wizard, I would only be cooking turkey and making the gravy. Everything else I would reheat. So that, that's, that's my sort of dark arts trick or sandbaggery, right? And the most dark is not even cooking the turkey. and buying it. It's hard to beat that. I got, a, I got a slice before I get into how it was made, guys. So, I was talking with <laughs> I was talking with someone yesterday. We're going over names, and we thought that we heard someone say Judas as a name. Judas, if you don't know, was the thirteenth, the, the one of the twelve disciples that sold out Jesus for thirty shillings of silver. And uh, <laughs> we were also maybe a little inebriated. And this is the way the conversation turned out. I'm going to share a little tidbit. Make it us in trouble. If you think about it, if you knew nothing about the biblical traitor that is Judas, if you didn't think, if you didn't know anything about the history and you just heard the name Judas, it's a pretty cool name. Judas Priest, great band. Judas. Have you ever met anyone named Judas? No. No. Why is that?
1: Uh... Because somebody will tell you, hey, this guy uh, betrayed Jesus.
0: The reason we don't have any more Judah- people named Judas is clearly after that betrayal, his name got out there and, you know, over 2000 years, a couple millennia, there's nobody named Judas. You might have the name Judas in another language, in another culture that has no reference to Judas. And I might be that, that anomaly, that just like, I don't give a shit. Fine. But, what now, now think about this. You go back 2,200 years ago or so, like all the names were like Peter, John. Judas back then was probably like Peter, you know? Bartholomew. Isaac. Thomas. Right? Paul. Stephen, Tim, like Judas was probably just like a, a common name. And you know how many people named Judas were like, fuck, God damn it. This motherfucker. Think about it. It's like, I've met a couple of people named Michael Jordan before. They're like, motherfucker. God damn it. It even happens if you're doing something awesome, it ruins your name. Clearly if you have a, Person that has your same name, then it's terrible. and so terrible that you know just who that person is. Think of just have some empathy for the all those people that grew up in that time, being like, "Fuck, man, I'm I'm Judas too, but I'm not a
1: motherfucker." David, um, I want you to consider how much worse it is for us Korean Americans who have like you know all like, you know, for the most part, we have like really biblical names like and. Dave is a fairly common one. Uh, if you look up David Chang on Google and you just remove chef, there are like they're all like dentists and doctors. And can you imagine? Like, what do you think your impact on these David Changs might
0: be? I've met a few David Changs before, and you know what? I've talked to a lot of restaurateurs before, and I've talked to a lot of friends that I'm friends with. Right? Again, I'm friends with a lot of chefs that are running some of the best restaurants in the world. they will get uh, I'll get a text. This happens quite a bit. Hey, are you coming in to eat tonight? I'm like, um, I'm not going to Vienna. No, I'm not in Vienna, Austria. Uh, hey, are you, are you in Australia? No, I'm not. I'm not. Because we have a David Chang, and there's a lot of David Changs. That's all.
1: So what names do you think are kind of like so here, the
0: here, 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 the weed took a even crazier, linear, non-linear conversation. Now you start thinking about all the people that have done terrible things in this world. (laughs) They're all one namers. Right. And I think the Judas principle has happened with all of these names. Right. Where somebody did so something so terrible that it ruined a good name for a lot of people. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Pol Pot in Cambodia was a common name. I know nothing about Germany. But maybe Hitler was a common name. Nobody's gonna name their son Hitler now unless
1: you're an Aryan race. <laughs> Nobody's not I don't think I've ever seen an Adolf with an F. Like that's Or
0: even Adolf, right? <laughs> Either or Adolf. Anyway, we'll just leave it at Judas. I was just saying, like the, the, the conversation, if you can imagine, was like a lot of people with their names. That were in good standing can get a ruin by one bad apple. And that name gets ruined forever. Forever. Right? Except it has to be a first name. Right? That's like, what was gonna... you, 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 like now it's a first name. Like John, John uh the Unabomber. His first name was John. Right? Ted Bundy. You're not getting rid of Ted. But if his first name was Bundy,
1: <laughs> actually if, the, the the Unabomber's name was Ted Kaczynski. Oh, Ted Kaczynski. That was so it. we can't trust anybody named Ted. It sounds right. like.
0: But I feel like if it's a name that is similar, like Jude, Jud, there's just a lot of Judas. You know, like maybe, maybe like if um, you know. Ted Bundy's name was like Davis as a first name. No one's going to name their kid Davis.
1: I mean, who's even going to name their kid Ted these days? But yeah, that's, that's a good point. It's always like the, the first name, last name combo kind of mitigates the risk so that, Hey, your name is Jeffrey, but we're not going to confuse you with Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, like that's,
0: but if Dahmer happened to be like a common first name, no, you know, but not common anywhere else.
1: Yeah. That's, and it'll just kind of, well, I'm just saying,
0: just maybe this only applies to Judas. I think this is like restaurant etiquette slash a slice. It's like a slice of restaurant life. As a chef, whether it's an open dining room or a closed kitchen, you're almost always asked to do two things. Have a guest come back to the kitchen, even if it's a closed kitchen, open, kitchen doesn't matter. Or you're asked to come out to the table. Both of those things are terrible, terrible decisions. Like, I hated having to go out to a table. Chef would like to, we'd love to talk to the chef. Like, no, I don't want to talk to you. Even worse is when they come back to the kitchen. And I know some restaurants have a chef's table. I know some restaurants really encourage the guests to come back through there like I've never been one of them um even though like our kitchens are open like when, when we did the pre-opening diaries of major Domo I would get so pissed when people just walking down the line because we had to know sort of an open kitchen be like dude what are you doing this is like highly <laughs> dangerous you can't just do this so like that's one dilemma is some chefs enjoy it quite a bit right I promise you I've never enjoyed it sometimes you have to do it. But the real issue is this. Sometimes you have to go to a table, right? Like my, if like Ferran Agia showed up or Fergus Henderson and, and Margot Henderson um, showed up, I would have to go out, do the table and I have to stand up. It's awkward for a chef to do this. What are you supposed to do? Sit down, sit, stand And if you sit down, what are you supposed to do? Drink, not drink, right? Then are you like eating? It just gets awkward, but the standing gets even more awkward because you don't know when to leave sometimes, right? Because it's just an awkward, the whole thing is awkward. Anytime you're standing up and people are sitting down, it's a fucking awkward conversation. All right. It's just awkward. You can't. And there's music and there's people talking. You can't barely hear them. It's one of the most awkward goddamn things that can happen to anybody. It doesn't always have to be chef. It could be cook coming out the dining room. Listen, there's a reason most of us are in the dining, not in the dining room because like we don't have the interpersonal skills, nor do we like to do those type of things. But the mere fact that a chef has to be standing up and talking, I mean, again, I cannot trust that enough. Sometimes they're not good at talking right they have anxiety they don't want to talk so when they have to come out whether it's investor or something that's when all hell breaks loose sometimes because you have to walk out to the table and if it's a big time guest or whatever it's like everyone can see this table now you're walking out and the problem once you get over the awkwardness of the conversation and you never know when to leave right especially if it's a conversation that is more than just the food Right. Because what is happening is inevitably another table wants to talk to you. And then another table. So if you touch another table, when I say touch, that's what you, what you say in the business. It's like, did you touch that table yet? No. Right. If you touch another table by going there, right, that's what it means. You're just visiting another table. And then another table is going to feel like, what the fuck? I want to talk to you too. Because it's a social flex. And it's a real problem. It's a real problem that very few people have ever talked about. It's a dilemma, right? So you can't come off, you only come across as a total asshole when you're like, I'm sorry, I, I can't. When you have just spent like 10, 15 minutes in the dining room, it's a shitty feeling. It's a shitty feeling. But there's nothing more awkward than a chef that won't leave a fucking table, right? It's just standing right? It's okay. There are times when a chef can sit down and that's the last turn. People are leaving. You know, you may be sitting down and you're sitting down with some friends and you're drinking a cocktail or whatever. That's when I feel like sometimes it's okay to sit down, um, especially after you've been working. But standing and talking, if it's more than like two minutes, It almost always ends badly and it almost ends awkwardly. And I feel bad for every chef that has to do that. You just sort of stand like you're, uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe that feeling. It just sucks. Everyone looking at you and you're like, "Uh." so next time you think about asking a chef to come out, just don't, just leave them alone. All right, guys, we have nobody's favorite segment anymore. Pro Football Food Weekly, we are going to talk about the five S's and Pro Football Food Weekly is our guide to determining which teams are going to win the upcoming upcoming week's football matchup on Amazon Thursday Night Football by judging the only thing that really matters. It's not even the game. It's the food. And it's the five S's. Sandwiches, steakhouses, sea, seafood, sweets, and special teams. It's as arbitrary as anything that... Listen, I've been listening to Bill Simmons' picks. We're just as good. I mean maybe we should put some money on this. <laughs> so we got, we got a we, we got a good game. Two of the best teams in the league, Cincinnati Bengals versus the Baltimore Ravens. A classic showdown of uh, NFC AFC North. I've been to Cincinnati two times. I've been to Baltimore many times. Truth be told, I grew up as a Baltimore Orioles fan and uh Baltimore is like 60 miles from DC, so we'd go there quite a bit. Um, and the Bengals used to be good. Then they were terrible. And then they're good again. When they were good in the eighties, they were like good for like two years. Been a couple times, Baltimore, many times. Sandwiches. This is going to be an easy win for Baltimore. Um, yeah. Pit beef, lake trout, but pit beef is, 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 if that has caraway seeds in it, Right.
1: That's the beef on white. That's the
0: beef on white. This is just roast beef and it's like a French dip, right?
1: Uh, something like that. Horseradish. Like, uh, horseradish sauce. Yeah.
0: Right. 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 We're not talking about crab cake sandwiches because people don't eat that. We're talking about pit beef. Pit beef. It's it's basically like a French dip with horseradish. Um, so yeah, we're going with that. You disagree?
1: I don't disagree. I've always wanted to try it. I've actually never tried a pippy, but it looks so good. And I keep.
0: <sighs> well, if you're from Baltimore.
1: Where's the spot? Like, do you have a spot?
0: I don't I don't know what the spot is, but I definitely had it. My friends in, from Baltimore, cooks from Baltimore would always make it for a family meal. Okay. Right. Um, steakhouse. We should really talk to Whitworth about this. Whitworth says one of the best restaurants in America and he knows food is in Cincinnati. And it's like, it, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I should, I, I'm going to, next time I see Whit, uh, I, I'm going to find it. I i have never had steak in either town, but I'm going to give this to the, I'm going to give this to Cincinnati. Let me give it to Cincinnati. Cause I, I've had enough conversation with Whitworth where he has told me that there's a couple places that make, Extremely good steaks, and it's not the precinct. Um, And there's a restaurant that has like a three or four level restaurant that is way, it just says it's so good that it doesn't belong, it doesn't make sense where it is or why it is the way it is. I will promise you I'll find that information and share. Uh, Seafood, yeah, Cincinnati is not happening. Baltimore, crab cakes, crab, blue crab. I gotta say, I think tourists eat crab cakes, people that are not tourists. Eat blue crabs. Yeah, I mean, Baltimore would probably win against everyone with the exception of New Orleans and Miami, and maybe, maybe, maybe New England.
1: That was the one I was going to ask you about. New England.
0: Um, there's so many crab houses that I don't need to name them, but there's so many sweets. I'm going to give this straight up to Grater's ice cream. It's one of my favorite ice creams. And it's a, I don't even know what a French pot, small batch ice cream is, but it's delicious. And it's the only, uh, cherry mint is not a flavor I'm a big fan of, but they make a really delicious one. And all of their flavors are delicious. And if you go, you can buy like a, you can like customize your, I don't know, 12 or 18, whatever the, 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 the online sampler is, I can tell you that if you go on the Grater's website, I have eaten all of those flavors and they're all delicious. Truly, Grater's is so fucking good. It's a, it's a gift I, I might give uh, this year. Special teams. God, Where are we at? Where are we at? It's a, we're even.
1: It's an even split right now.
0: Oh, Lord. Man, remember, this is independent of Joe Burrow versus Lamar Jackson. Frank's Red Hot it was invented in Cincinnati. And another local favorite is Dude Seriously Hot Sauce. A company that actually built the world's first hot sauce vending machine located inside the Cincinnati airport. Yeah. Sorry, Cincinnati. Yeah, you know Old Bay. That's all the special teams I need. Baltimore may have the best special teams in the history of special teams. And like the locals use another brand of Old Bay that I can't even remember what the name is, but they just sell it in a different bag, is like it's like a PJ's, RJ's, or something like that. It's the same thing. Tastes a little bit different. Not the same thing. They would get really mad at me. But that, that seasoning is the Chesapeake Bay area. And I grew up with it. I love it. Those flavors. Man, I wish I could remember what the real locals use. Uh, we could look it up. But I do think that of all the special teams, candidates, Old Bay, is the Tom Brady, the goat of special teams? Baltimore is going to win on every damn one.
1: I think I found your Old Bay alternative. Is it Jo Spice? Jo
0: Spice, yes. Uh, it was two, two letter acronym. Jo Spice, much beloved, but Old Bay is. Uh, I mean, it's it's one of those things good on everything. And uh, I'm sorry, Frank's Red Hot. You're as delicious as you are. You're like a fourth place fifth place, sixth place. You're lucky you're even on the top 25 versus Old Bay. So Cincinnati, you're guaranteed to lose this game. You're guaranteed to lose. And uh, the Ravens are two and a half point favorites. I'm going to bet, you know, Bill Simmons has the million dollar picks. We're going to do a billion dollars, one billion dollars on the Ravens by four. Points, you know what? I'm I'm feeling feeling lucky. By eight and a half points. Yeah. Don't fuck with Old Bay Cincinnati. We're partnering with Audi on a new segment: Progress You Can Feel. The fully electric Audi Q8 e-tron brings true craftsmanship and stunning performance to your journey with fast charging capabilities and impeccable design. Audi knows that how we get there matters. So here's a story of how I got there. I've opened a bunch of restaurants. I've been lucky enough to do so. It is easily the hardest thing I think anybody can do in an organized fashion. That's a business. Starting any business is difficult, but starting a restaurant, any kind of restaurant is right at the very top of some of the most impossible things you can do. And. I always go back to 2006 when we opened up Sambar, because I had this light bulb moment that the restaurant of the future was going to be eating casual Asian food. And I've talked about this a bunch, but I think about it probably 40 times a day uh, of the insanity that ensued when we opened up Sambar in 2006. Because you see, in 2004, we opened up Momofuku Noodle Bar in the East Village. It was 600 square feet. And we were so busy. I mean, this the, the East Village Noodle Bar 2004, we were not busy when we opened up. It took six months to find our footing. But once we figured out what we were going to do, we're doing noodles, but we're really using the farmer's market. Um, using the things that I knew had to cook, that was a discovery, right? Uh, making uh, Benton's bacon with miso and our ramen stock. Besides all the buns, we were making crawfish that was Sichuan flavored and all kinds of awesome dishes that were new um, to New York City at that time. And we had long lines. We, we were fortunate and very lucky to have, honestly, almost every day, all day, three to four hour lines. We we're 24 seats in a 600 square foot restaurant. It was very small. So long queues all day. And all people ever wanted was a larger noodle bar. They wanted a bigger noodle bar, but, uh, I don't know why, but I, I, I was not, uh, it didn't, didn't really move me to open up a bigger one. Cause we had already done it and I want to do something that was a little bit easier in scope. And the reality is I came back from Japan in 2003. And before I got a job at cafe Bleu, I tried to get a job working uh, in fast food, trying to do burritos and tacos and anything that was fast food oriented. I, I just wanted to see what that industry was like. This was way before Shake Shack. This was before a lot of the sort of fast casual restaurants that you might know about, the new ones that were started the past 20 plus years. And I was really enamored with the idea that there was a new way to serve fast casual Asian food. And my light bulb moment was, hey, I love mushu pork. One of my favorite things to do when ordering mushu pork was literally putting rice and lo mein in my mushu pork and making it like a giant burrito. And I was like, well, why don't we turn that into a real restaurant? And for, for a year or so, we were messing around with the idea of sam. Sam means wrapped in Korean. And I took that as, A liberty to sort of turn it into anything that was rolled up and wrapped. And I found that there was a lot of analogies and parallels in the flavors of what you might put in a burrito bar in terms of Asian food. I could uh, recreate, say, uh, sour cream or crema with uh, tofu, you know, as crazy as that sounds. You had beans in both cultures and braised and slow roasted meats. And honestly, it was delicious. But there were two problems. One is, it was a not a good location, 13th Street, 2nd Avenue, where the first Sambar was. Uh, still to this day, not a high foot traffic area. And uh, I should have opened up in a larger location um, somewhere in midtown or downtown near Wall Street. Um, secondly, uh, we were way too early to <laughs> reimagine what Asian food could be for an audience. Uh, not that... I think diners are way more sophisticated today than they were in 2006, even in New York City. And we were messing with their idea of what a burrito could be, a rice bowl could be. Um, it We were not making anything that was Mexican flavor. We were using only Asian ingredients. And I think it messed with people's ideas. Honestly, it was just too dang weird for everyone to 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 wrap their heads around. I got to say that Sometimes when you open up a restaurant and you don't play by the rules, right? And and this is really the, the moral of the story here is as hard as it was and as disastrous as it was, sometimes when you have an idea and you feel compelled that you have to do it, sometimes, oftentimes, everyone's going to say it's a terrible idea. And the numbers sort of demonstrate that as well. We were about to flounder our way out of business and We had a loan. We're going to lose everything. We're going to lose noodle bar. So everything was on the line to make this work. And the reality is, if I didn't do that restaurant the way it was as an Asian Korean burrito bar, I don't think I would have ever have been successful doing anything else. Because because we had to pay the bills, we opened up Sambar from 12 to 4 in the morning, seven days a week, serving Anything and everything that we found to be delicious. And we tapped into a subculture of cooks and creative New York nightlife industry people, uh, artists, musicians. And we sort of became this cultural sort of hub uh, from 12 to 4 in the morning. And we were blessed to have really talented cooks. So it was this beautiful, motley crew. And every night was just total beautiful chaos. And it was one of the hardest moments of my life and one of the best. But I could not have figured it out unless I had that light bulb moment for a stupid idea. And sure enough, those 12 to four hour restaurants uh, concept that we were doing, which was like, this a very eclectic bistro became Sambar from, you know, lunch to dinner instead of in the in the wee early hours of the morning. Anyway, If you have an idea to open up a restaurant, sometimes that bad idea is the best idea you can have. You just got to make sure that you follow through and uh, it could all work out. There's progress and then there's progress you can feel. The Audi Q8 e-tron is just one model within the Audi e-tron family of fully electric vehicles preparing for a future that is exhilarating, exciting, and thrilling. Audi knows that how we get there matters and they have the electrified vehicles to make the journey, well, electrifying. Audi, progress you can feel. Learn more at outofusa.com slash electric. Guys, clearly Cincinnati's going to lose. You guys can send me the royalty checks for all the winnings that you're going to have at uh, com. I wanted to thank uh, Judas for giving us an inspiration today and uh, give us five stars.